Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Hello, I'm Galen Jones, and you're listening to Hacks for Life. I'm here with uh, Scott Rahi, and we're continuing a conversation about the New Testament documents and how they were written, whether it was by eyewitnesses or who in the world was it? <laughs> who in the world was this? Yeah, who, who did write to, these things? It's a very scholarly way to do it. it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Scott, kick us off. This We're uh, picking up from a, the, a previous conversation. Yep. So last time we talked more about sort of Bart Ehrman's uh, you know his his desire to sort of I think his desire to lead people away from faith. He certainly you know makes people confused if they read his books and they come away going well maybe that's you know maybe I can't trust that the book of Matthew the Gospel of Matthew is written by Matthew. Um, and I you know I kind of wrapped up by saying if Matthew was not written by Matthew but it was written by someone who who forged it and assigned the name of an apostle why not pick a more popular apostle instead of Matthew. Um, why not pick a more popular apostle than Mark, who was just a companion of Peter? Um, why not pick Peter, in fact, you know, yeah. Yeah. that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of said that recent scholarship has significantly challenged the idea that the Gospels were not based on that eyewitness testimony. There's a few things that, um, you know, I think are that we can sort of point to. Again, it's a quick quote from that book that I quoted uh, the last time. And it's, uh, the book's called A True, Truth in a Culture of Doubt, and it's on, this one's page, on page 137. It's a very short quote, and uh, they say, For the first 1,800 years of Christian history, the predominant view was that the New Testament Gospels were reliable documents derived from eyewitness testimony. Now, one of the things I think that's really powerful about the traditional authorship is that the early church doesn't have a competing tradition. You don't find anywhere in any of the ancient documents from any of the early Christians that say, well, some people people think it was Matthew. Some other people think it was this guy. Everybody across the board said it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's no competing tradition. So, you know, I think that's that's a very important element of this. If every eyewitness says this is the way it happened and there's nobody arguing the point, you know, you need to take that seriously. I think um, there's a a lecture, and I actually inserted this um, as I was sort of preparing the notes today. There's a there's a scholar. His name is Peter J. Williams. You've met him. He came to the church that you the guy that came over. And yeah, yeah, is in. Uh, yeah. in um, in fact, I saw him in. Um uh, London, uh, actually at uh, Cambridge. Yeah, you were going to go over and like stay, yeah, I, stay yeah. at the place where he was doing his work. Yeah, I didn't. Like I didn't. Want, I didn't get to stay, but we did get to go there and, yeah. and meet him. Super nice guy. Yeah, yeah. really, really genuine yeah. person. And he, um, he's got a, he's got a lecture. You can actually see it on YouTube. It's part of the Lanier Library lecture series, and the actual um, lecture is called "New Evidence." New evidences: the Gospels were based on eyewitness accounts. And you need to look at Peter J. Williams because there's another Christian scholar by the name of Peter S. Williams. So mm. you got the only difference is that middle initial. Not the same people. They're both very, very definitely worth listening to. Both of them have excellent things to say. But we're talking about Peter J. Williams in this case. And if you listen to that, it's a sermon. He's giving it in a church. If you listen to that, he's there's been some studies that have been done about the frequency of names in the Gospels. And 
the point that's made in these in the, in this study is if somebody were a hundred years later trying to write as if they were an eyewitness in the early first century or the you know in the first century, the likelihood that they would include the names of the people as they like you know right now there are certain names that are popular people are naming their babies and there's like a, a most popular name and then there's you know there're probably not a lot of kids getting named Egbert right now but that's a name that people used to name their kids and in that time when the gospels are said to have been written if they were written by eyewitnesses there were names that were more popular than others mm-hmm. and well, just they, like today yeah i mean yeah. they come out with a, like scott, these are the popular names this year scott you know, is far more popular than galen for example far more popular i didn't say that um galen is going to hit the top it's going to it's going it's, it's going to come gonna back around there. yeah okay. it's going to get there so we're he the study that they did and he references all the details around it they went in and said how many times do we find the name mary how many times do we find the name joseph how many times do we find the name john or matthew now he's or looking at this in outside of the this is an external body of scholars that looked at, the, at oh, these okay. documents okay. and they say you know what a document that was written in that time period if it was in other words if it was a later author that was pretending to be that person from earlier on would have been almost impossible for him to get the 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 statistical frequency of these names right like this number of people were named mary this number of people were named john this number of people you know that sort of thing but the people in that culture who were writing actual events and they said this person was named mary this person was named mary well that lines up with the actual um frequency that people named their children Mary and then their daughters Mary and and named their sons John and that sort of thing. So it's a stamp of authenticity that says, yeah, this is not something that fictional writers like if some if I was to write a fictional novel about the Civil War, I might get all the facts right, but I'm far less likely to get this. You know, I might have a whole lot of people with a particular name and nobody named their kid that back then. And so it's obvious that it's a fictional novel and this, you know, so um, you, you're saying like a, this would be an a, a old a a first century algorithm. It's kind of an old yeah, kind of a first century. <laughs> so you just kind of walk through and say yeah, you know, in the early first century, there were sixty percent of the women were named Mary, and in the gospel, sixty percent of the women are named Mary, and. The way that they can reconcile that is it's because they're referencing actual people and actual events, and there are 60% of the people in those events that are named Mary. That's the idea that he's getting at. And it's not something that's fictionalized from later on because they would have gotten the percentages of names wrong. And he's, you know, and he he spends a long time. It's more interesting than I'm making it out to be. It's a really interesting uh, discussion. Um, And I I just, I like listening to Peter Williams anyway. There is another um, scholar who I think he pretty well sort of established himself, and he's highly he's highly um, um, in, people engage his work a lot, and you know he's highly regarded. His name is Richard Balkum, and it's it's spelled B A U C K H A M, and he wrote a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. That was kind of his. It was kind of he stepped into the you know the public square with that book, um, and what he claims is that the question of traditional authorship like we're the traditional authorship being matthew mark luke and john he's he said in the 20th century there was something called form criticism that came out 
and form criticism is the reason that people began questioning the authorship of these, uh, you know, that they were not written by eyewitnesses. So let me tell you first what form criticism is, or, or give a definition of it. This is from Britain. Yeah, because I'm sure our listeners. I suspect you know what it is. Yes. Because yeah. if we're you know, going to school, but other people might not. Yeah. Britannica.com is where I got this. You tell me if this this lines up with your understanding. What Britannica.com says is form criticism is a method of biblical criticism that seeks to classify units of scripture into literary patterns such as love poems, parables, sayings, elegies, legends, and that attempts to trace each type to its period of oral transmission. So I, that that's kind of a, a real sort of, I don't know, a formal definition of it. But let's, let me give you a quote from the, the book, again, going back to that truth and a culture of doubt, because I want to, I think it's important to understand what we're talking about here. The authors say central in their approach, speaking of these scholars, these uh, form critics, central in their approach was the belief that the gospels were akin to folk literature, similar to old German fairy tales, the product of oral traditions passed down by people who had no interest in history. Similarly, stories about Jesus were passed down orally by the way of by way of anonymous community traditions in the early church. Rather than showing interest in history, these people felt free to modify traditions to meet the current needs of their community. So what they're saying is this is how form criticism played out Mm -hmm. you know where did we get the stories that we get we get these folk traditions and they just change them it's like you know you're telling your child a bedtime story and it if i if i change the story a little bit it's a more exciting story for the kid and that becomes what the Mm -hmm. child knows and then passes along and they didn't care about trying to get the story right they just are given these folk traditions and so richard balkum says form criticism is the problem and he's addressing and responding to that in his book and so he kind of goes through what he considers to be some of the flaws in form criticism and i'm going to give you just a bullet point list it's a really worthwhile book to read Uh, but he starts with and these are kind of my notes these aren't quotes Uh, first the form critical model is unlikely because many of the eyewitnesses were alive when the gospels were written and would have been what he calls guardians of the tradition um the idea of I'm writing a document saying this is what happened. If I'm writing something about you know an event that was close, let's say that I'm writing about the, the tenure of the ministers at the church where you used to work, and I'm just kind of making stuff up. You're alive, and you can read that and go, that's not what yeah, happened. That that, that, that's not yeah. close to what happened. You need to correct the record, and you would go public and say, don't trust this. This is not what happened. Mm-hmm. So his point is somebody's just making a story up. The people that are in the story were still alive and were able to say, that's not true. Yeah, you'd get censored. I would be in trouble at that point, yeah. Um, so the next point that he makes, the names in the Gospels are meant to ensure the readers of their accuracy. And I never heard anybody say this before, but it was really interesting to me uh, whenever I say it. So, you know, people that are writing sort of legendary stories, they don't include a lot of real specifics like the names mm-hmm. of the people involved and that sort of thing. Um, but he makes the point that uh, certain documents that are written later have more specifics. And he specifically says the Gospel of John includes, you know, there's a story in the garden when Jesus is being arrested that Peter pulls a sword and cuts, and off, the cuts off the ear mm-hmm. of one Malchus. of the servants. Yeah. Yeah. But if you read in the synoptics, the first three Gospels, Malchus's name is not there. Right. But in John, it's there. Right. And you, you wonder, well, 
why is John more specific? It was written later. Was it added later? It's the same thing with Lazarus raising from the dead. Why is it listed? You know, and Balkum believes, and and I think it's a solid case that the reason the earlier writers didn't include that is these people were still alive at the time of the writing, and he didn't want to call. He didn't want to, you know, embarrass them. Say, hey, yeah. this was this guy Malchus. That's that guy over there that got his ear cut off. Yeah, that's that guy Lazarus over there. Huh. But by the time about that. by the time John was written, they had died, and so there was no need to keep their privacy. Right. It's an interesting notion. Yeah. I'd never really, I'd never really you, thought you, about it. I believe it, it's in Matthew gives very little detail about that story. Yeah. It's, it's just like, oh, there was some dude standing over there, and he got you know, got you know his pulled out whacked. a sword, and he got whacked. You know, yeah, and then about then you go to Luke, and he adds a little bit more, that's and, right. and they was with Jesus, and you know, anyway. Yep. Uh, it's kind of interesting how that builds together. And then Balkum spends a lot of time. Uh, there's a second scene. You know, I talked about how all of the early records talk about this is the author of this book and this, and there's no competing tradition. Well, Eusebius wrote a book, I think it's called The Church Histories or Church History or something like that, where he talks about these authorships. But I want to say he he's around in the three to 400 range, something like that. But there's an earlier author. Um, his name was Papias. And he is... Um, he was a, uh, I think he was around 137, something like that, and he he talked about author the authorship, and he talked about how does he know who wrote what and that sort of thing. And there's a quote that I, I want to read really quick, and it's from page 15 of Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Um, and it's, I'm going to just to start what Balkum is saying. No, he's quoting Papias, right? Yeah, it starts with him talking about it, and then he jumps into the quote about okay. him quoting okay. Papias. So Balkum says. The passage is from the prologue to Papias's work. Like Luke's gospel, Papias's work was dedicated to a named individual, though the name has not survived. And in the prologue, uh, he addressed this dedicatee directly, whoever he's writing to. And this is what Papias said to whoever he's writing to. He says, I shall not hesitate also to put into properly ordered form for you everything that I learned carefully in the past from the elders and noted down well for the truth of which I vouch. For unlike most people, I did not enjoy those who have a great deal to say, but those who teach the truth. Nor did I enjoy those who recall someone else's commandments, but those who remember the commandments given by the Lord to the faith and proceeding from the truth itself. And if by chance anyone who had been in attendance on the elders should come my way, I inquired about the words of the elders, that is, what, according to uh, Andrew or Peter said, or Philip or Thomas or James or John or Matthew or any of the other Lord's disciples, and whatever Aristion and the elder John, the Lord's disciples, were saying. For I did not think that information from books would profit me as much as information from a living and surviving voice. The, the reason that that's important is, is he's saying... I'm talking to the actual people that were the direct disciples and the direct followers of Jesus. I'm able to have conversations with them because they're still around. And if you read, and I'm not going to go through all, there's a lot more that kind of as you sort of work through this. And he comes back and he, he, he says, Matthew's the author of Matthew. Mark's the author of Mark. Mark took his writings from Peter. Peter described the events of being a, a follower of Christ, and Mark assembled them, and I think he even says he, he wrote them down, though not necessarily in the order of the events occurring. He just said, you know, Mark just took the stuff from Peter, and he made the gospel. Same thing with Luke, and same thing with John. Um, and this is only 130 AD, something like that, and it's a lot more, 
it's certainly a lot closer to the life and it's in the time of the people that still lived and could still remember Jesus and you know so this is one of our earliest records of what what are the first people saying the very first records that we have Papias I think is the first one at least I believe it is and he's already saying Matthew wrote Matthew Mark wrote Mark Luke wrote Luke you know he's 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 just coming right out and saying it and he he has access it's it's really I mean, it kind of sends a chill down your spine. This is another person writing in there. He's having direct conversations with the disciples that we read about in the Gospels. And he's talking about interacting with them and knowing them. And he's not, there's no doubt in his mind about who wrote the Gospels. And that's not in the quote that I read, but the mm-hmm. quote I read is him, I have access to these people. And then he, and later on, Papias is like, here's the authors. And there's no doubt about that. And then you got Eusebius coming back and saying the same thing. And all of these copies of the documents that were sent around um, to all of the early churches, there's never a copy that anybody has ever found that says, no, this wasn't written by Matthew, it was written by somebody else. So what we've got here, if you go back to what Bart Ehrman said at the beginning and brings all this into question, and then Mike Lacona came back and he said, look, you're going to have to have a really compelling case to cause 2,000 years of scholarship to change because for 2,000 years, all of the evidence, 100% of the evidence, is that this is the correct they're, authorship. They're the, they're the men. The only thing that Bart Ehrman has going for him is they don't have their names on it. And we do have evidence that there were other documents that were forged. The thing that's funny about that is we have evidence that these other documents were forged. We don't have, we any, don't have evidence any evidence that, that the Gospels were forged, were forged yeah. but we certainly have it. So he tries to yeah. use this other Gospels, all other fake Gospels were written, so these were fake too. Well, there's no evidence that that. There's, all the evidence yeah. argues the other direction. Yeah. So I think, the, and, you know, if you go through the other church fathers, there's a whole bunch of them that I have listed here. If you look, there is uh, Justin Martyr, there's um, Irenaeus, there's Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, all these different ones. They all talk. And these are you know people that lived around 100, 150, 195, very, very early on. They wrote about who the, who the, the author was of Matthew, Mark, Luke. None of them disagree. Everybody's on the same page. So. Yeah, that's, that's enormous. So I think... Sort of rounding this out, we believe the Gospels were written early. We cut, we covered that mm-hmm. previously, and we believe that the authors were who is indicated when we open our New Testament. And there's no reason to conclude differently. So we've got early eyewitness testimony that is historically accurate. So n- let's look going forward. Do we have the original documents? Do I have the actual document with the lettering that, that Matthew wrote? Do I Can I pull that out and say, look, that's him. That's his pen mark. No, I don't. How do I know what Matthew wrote is what I have today? Even Bart Ehrman thinks it was, but why does he? Why do I? Right, right. Let's talk about Let's talk about that, and we'll start with that next time. So we'll look at some of that evidence. The historicity of the uh, New Testament, yeah. Sweet. I like it. Look forward to it. Be here. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit, Christ centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972 243 4673. 
That's 972-243-4673. For questions and comments, email Galen at jamescroopministries.net. That's G-A-L-O-N at jamescroopministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.